0: Good morning and welcome to the final convocation of the 2021 academic year. My name is Suzanne East and I'm the Goshen College Core Curriculum Director. And this was a year that called forth our best creative thinking. I have used the phrase we have to get creative here so many times this year to indicate that the usual way of doing things will not suffice that our ever-changing operational environment has required us to come up with new ways of doing old things. One of the gifts of this pandemic year has been highlighting the absolute necessity of creative thinking, the ability to look at constraints and find possibilities. So it's fitting to me that we end our year with a celebration of the arts highlighting a few of the many places on campus where creative work and beauty and sacred performance has continued to happen. We'll move through this lineup of dance, poetry, piano, prose and choral music and the slides will announce our next performance. I'm so looking forward to what you all are bringing us today. And let's start by dancing.
1: Was a machine, girl of like your dreams, Sinclair regime. Turn to the max, can't forget Maxine. to me as a goddess, I'm tired of being modest. A hundred degrees, the hottest. If we be enemies, have any anybody's Black people win. They say we be being... enemies.
2: Manya, manya, inesis in manya, manya Oya, oh, yeah, make you Nikota, nikota mama Africa Nikota, hey, make you dance, yeah e, Yeah, e, yeah, e, yeah, Everybody, nikota, nikota mama Africa Nikota, hey, make you dance, yeah e, Yeah, e, yeah, e, yeah This one, na, sara, sara The beat is tarantana you go make you manya, manya is in manya, manya This is for people we chalacha hey. People we kalaka
1: Good morning. My name is Emmeline Roop. I'm a senior social work major with minors in writing and music from Worcester, Ohio. Today, I'm going to be reading for you two poems from my new book that has been released by Pinch Penny Press called These Sacred Fractures. It is a collection of 11 poems that try to find the holy in brokenness, or at least the things that we are told are broken. I'm going to be reading two poems from the last section of this book which is about grief and healing. The first is my attempt to use mythology and narrative to make sense of my grandmother's passing. This is Grief Has Feathers Too. Seagulls don't show up in old photographs. Too heavenly for lens halos, too white for burnt sienna, for dust flecks, for cat eye specks, forgetting that photographs become box fillers and coffee coasters. No, they transcend two dimensions, oceans, great lakes, cigarettes, and conch shells, brushing wings with sterile mist, and whispering, I waited, to those left over. He left. She got left behind. When grandma died, she had waited for him 14 years in tidal waves. Staring into the absence of the dashboard clock on the day the earth opened to take her back, vultures didn't greet the dead, but two seabirds playing airplane over fields, corn tassels grazing their breasts, an epitaph to say, she never flies alone. This next and final poem is, like the rest of this book, dedicated to the founder of Voices of the Earth, Deb Detweiler. This is My Body Remembers. Here in the desert, my body remembers as my legs take me down a wrong turn to the empty office. Still, my body remembers with each song and a hidden in ancient relics such as her favorite hymn, such as magnolias flashing their skirts, such as 4 o'clocks, 5 o'clock, the unearthed phlegm from a croaked hominera, tickling in my throat like hot ginger tea. And still, my body remembers, and sometimes she overtakes me like a mirage. In warbles, trills, cokey croaks, the unabashed swaying of hips unplagued by Mennonite stifling, honey, pouring from my hands, dust clogging my toes, I eviscerate myself, my graphic, beautiful, undoing, unladylike, and feminine divine with a belly full of her. And when my body takes me on the pilgrimage, I will pick up new relics in maroon, gold, and jade. I will wrap them around myself from neck to stifled hips in the knowledge that she readied me For the feasting and dancing of Jerusalem. Thank you.
3: Oh my gosh! Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Um, Okay. So my name is Mariela Esparza, and I'm a first year with majors in English and secondary education. Um, I'm gonna uh, be reading two poems. Um, This first one is called I'm So Nervous Saying This Out Loud. And it sort of, I think, um, typifies, I don't know, the um, anxiety experience. Um, So, yeah. The words rest in your belly. Then they sit on your tongue. They wait for you to give the signal. Only then are they propelled into the world. What about the times when you don't ever build up enough courage? Where do the thoughts go then? Or what about the times when your mouth opens before you're really ready? All you can do is wait now. The silence between replies lasts forever. The worries and what-ifs brew in your mind. Or what about the times when you want to say something with all of your being, but when you open your mouth, nothing comes out? where do the thoughts that you don't voice go this second poem that i'm going to be reading is called um the white sea and this one i just um i was just thinking about um what it can feel like sometimes to be part of a community that is um of a majority that you don't that you are not part of. And so uh, this one I just dedicate to, um, I don't know, the students of, of color and, um, so yeah. This one, again, is called The White Sea. Around you are eyes light and faces bright. The kid to the left is white and to the right is only a brighter white. And the teacher, of course, he's white. In all that you write, your appetite, it's big and it's bright. So don't be polite and hide your light, because I know it's more than all right. So don't take flight, stay, put up a fight. Your name, you'll rewrite. Bask in the spotlight and show them more that it's than a birthright. Let their tokenism ignite. And when they tell you to recite, be as confident as a man who is straight and white, tell them I am as confident as myself tonight. Thank you.
4: Um, hello, my name is Greta Lap and I'm a sophomore English major. And I'm gonna be reading two poems um, and they're both related to grief. So this first one is sort of just about the hidden um, sorrows that we all carry with us. Where do you carry your grief? Is it in your blue mug, lacing your coffee like honey? Is it under your pillow, hidden by soft layers of down? Do you carry your grief in the soles of your shoes or in the pockets of your coat? Do you hide your grief underneath your hat, in between the fingers of your gloves? Do you carry your grief with you always or do you put it down sometimes? Do you let it rest in the shadows or in a fleeting patch of sun? Do you hold it close at night or do you shove it off the bed? Does it weigh down on your shoulders? Do you cradle it in your palm? Tell me, where do you carry your grief, and can you take some of mine? Just an ounce, I swear you'll hardly feel the difference. And once my load is lighter, I will take yours too, so that our griefs can mix and mingle two strangers at a party, sweating and laughing and dancing and crying, and then they will go to sleep together holding each other close as the world spins quietly on, and the slowly dawning light wakes them up gently. And your grief will softly kiss mine, and our griefs will say goodbye and vanish, leaving hardly a trace as they return to my coffee cup and to your pillowcase. Um, This next poem is dedicated to um, a friend named Shanae Short who uh, died a few weeks ago in a train accident in Taiwan that you may have seen in the news. It's called The Train in Taiwan. It creeps up on you on a Saturday morning. It wakes you up and rattles your bones, slithers into your bed, rests its head on your pillow, wraps its arms around your waist and squeezes, whispering into your ear that she was a dancer. The rush of wind and the hollow prayers and the shadows engulf you and you realize that it could have been you on the train in Taiwan, the dancer on the other side of the world. It could have been your sister or your cousin or your friend. And so it creeps up on you on a Saturday morning. The birds are singing too loudly today. Thank you.
5: Are people born wicked? Or do they have wickedness thrust upon them? This is the question Galinda the Good Witch asks as the whole world condemns Alphaba, the Wicked Witch of the West, and her former college roommate. Gregory McGuire's novel, Wicked, the basis for the hit Broadway musical, tells us the backstory of the green-skinned woman Alphaba. In the land of Oz, the status and livelihood of animals are at stake. Animals, who have language and human-like comprehension, and animals, who are simple beasts with no language, are being ripped of their rights and safety. At Shih's University, Elphaba discovers that even the most educated of society have malicious intentions for the fate of animal kind. In this scene that I will be performing, Elphaba challenges Professor Nikodek, her biology teacher, when an innocent lion cub is brought in for human science. The smart and stubborn Wicked Witch of the West who challenges authority and fights for justice makes us question our misconceptions of good and evil. In came a boy from Three Queens, rolling a table like a tea tray. On it, crouched as if to make itself as small as possible, was a lion cub. Even from the balcony, they could sense the terror of the beast. Its tail, a little whip the color of mashed peanuts, lashed back and forth, and its shoulders hunched. It had no mane to speak of yet. It was too tiny. But the tawny head twisted this way and that, as if counting the threats. It opened its mouth in a terrified yup, the infant form of an adult roar. All over the room, hearts melted, and people said, Aw, hardly more than a kitten, said Dr. Nikodik. I had thoughts to call it purr, but it shivers more than it purrs, so I call it burr instead. The creature looked at Dr. Nikodek, removed itself to the far edge of the trolley. Now the question of the morning is this, picking up from the somewhat skewed interests of Dr. Dilliman, who, mumble, mumble, who can tell me if this is an animal or an animal? Alphabet <coughs> didn't wait to be called on. She stood up in the balcony and launched her answer in a clear, strong voice. Dr. Nicodek, the question you ask is, who can tell if this is an animal or an animal? It seems to me the answer is that its mother can. Where is its mother? A buzz of amusement. Caught in the swamp of syntactical semantics, I see, said the doctor merrily. He spoke louder as if having only now realized there was a balcony in the hall. Well done, miss. Let me rephrase the question. Will someone here venture a hypothesis as to the nature of this specimen and give a reason for such an assessment? We see before us a beast at a tender age Long before any such beast could command language, if language were a part of its makeup. Before language, assuming language, is this still an animal? I repeat my question, Doctor, Sanga Alphaba. This is a very young cub. Where is its mother? Why was it taken from its mother at such an early age? How even can it feed? Those are impertinent questions to the academic issue at hand, said the Doctor. Still, the youthful heart bleeds easily. The mother, shall we say, died in a sadly timed explosion. Let us presume for the sake of the argument, there was no way of knowing whether the mother was a lioness or a lioness. After all, as you may have heard, some animals are going back to the wild to escape the implications of the current laws. Alphaba sat down, nonplussed. It doesn't seem right to me, she said to Bach and Averick. For the sake of a science lesson, to drag in a cub without its mother, look how terrified it is. It is shivering, and it can't be cold. Thank you.
6: Good morning, everybody. My name is Scott Hostetler. I'm professor of music here at Goshen College. And this morning, our tenor-based chorus, Vox Profundi, would like to share two of our selections from our upcoming Earth Tones concert, which will stream next Tuesday evening at 7.30. You're all invited to join. The first is Shosholosa, a South African work song arranged for tenor-based chorus by Jeffrey Ames. Shosholosa is a traditional minor song Originally sung by groups of men from the Ndebele ethnic group that traveled by steam train from their homes in Zimbabwe to work in South Africa's diamond and gold mines, the late former South African president, Nelson Mandela, described how he sang Shosholosa as he worked during his imprisonment on Robben Island. He described it as a song that compares the apartheid struggle to the motion of an oncoming train, and went on to explain that the singing made the work lighter. The text, which is in Zulu and Indebele, translates as, go forward. You are moving fast on those mountains. The train is coming out of South Africa. You are running away on those mountains. The train is coming out of South Africa. Soloists will be senior Ian Martin and junior Ben Reichenbach with guest percussionist in 2015, GCLM Micah Detweiler on Jembe. Our second selection, which will close the convo here, will be Wedding Quali by A. R. Rahman and arranged by Ethan Sperry. A quali is a piece of celebratory singing from the Sufi tradition, which is popular in the Punjab province of Pakistan and northern provinces of India. In our version, a- adapted for tenor-based chorus each section of the choir takes turns acting as a vocal soloist. They are accompanied by Sam Stolpe on tambourine and Micah Detweiler on doombek. A. R. Rahman wrote Wedding Quali for the musical Bombay Dreams, which was produced by Andrew Lloyd Webber and premiered on Broadway in 2004. The Punjabi text translates as follows. Congratulations, my darling is like gold. Color me red, color my veil in red, apply red henna to my palms. I have found all my prayers are blooming in color. Let's all embrace and follow the rituals. Let's sing songs for my beloved with our scarves flowing under our legs. We also want to thank Aaron George for his help with the Punjabi pronunciation.
7: Chun 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 chun